Welcome to Beyond the Frontline Podcast, where your hosts, U.S. Air Force veterans, Donna Hoffmeyer and Jay Johnson will help you transition from the front line to the home front. Listen every other Wednesday as they will bring great conversations, resources, tips, and feel-good stories that will resonate and relate. Now, here's your hosts, Donna Hoffmeyer and Jay Johnson. Hey, Jay, what's up? What's going on, Donna? It's good to be here again in this time and space. It's always fun. It is. What are you up to? My gosh, I feel all over the place. I'm still catching up post-COVID because a lot of things were put on the back burner, but I've got proposals out. I've got clients I'm serving. Yesterday, I I, I lead a committee inside one of the many chambers of commerce that I am in. You're actually in that chamber mm-hmm. as well. And we did a big luncheon yesterday that was a success, so that always... It was. Feels good on the back end of that to accomplish a big event, have everybody excel, have great information shared. So other than that, I think just looking forward to the weekend. Got my kiddo with me. We're going to figure out what kind of trouble we're going to get into this weekend. Ah, good. How about good. you? What's happening? Scattered. I've got a thousand things going on at the same time. Book trying to launch, a podcast I'm trying to keep up with, blog I'm trying to keep up with. Just officially launched the business. So all those things are going on. So my transitions going on is really what's happening. You, you left one out, Donna, earlier this week at a chamber that the Chamber of Commerce we're both in. They did a ribbon cutting they for you. Did. It was kind of cool. Little Facebook Live, little promotion. Yep. I had a little ribbon cutting and I'm and let you know, I'm gonna transition that to like the marketing stuff. I mean, we're, that's not what we're talking about today, but transition, a lot of people are really shy on how to market themselves, and I am no exception. So that whole morning I pouted. And my husband's like, okay, I'm going to go to the meeting. I have this meeting and then I'm going to shoot over there and I'll be there. And I'm like, yeah, you don't have to. It's not a big deal. <laughs> He's like, what? I'm like, no, don't worry about it. And he just kept looking at me like I was crazy. And really, it's just that anxiety build up. And I'm like, God, why is everyone going to focus on me? That's just crazy. And no. So it's one of those things that we have to get over. It went well. He showed up. It was good to have up. him there. I thought you had a good turnout for everybody expressing interest from the chamber and wanting to get to know you and what your business is. Well, so I thought it was good. He was all excited that I got to hold the big scissors. That's what Oh, yeah. The big up. gold scissors to cut the, <laughs> to cut the red ribbon. Exactly. That made you official. That yeah. was official. So, yes, that's what's kind of going on in in our world here but that's not what we're talking about today so (laughs) today we're going to continue our little brain series so let's recap we did a little overview of the brain when you and I had that little probably uh, three sessions ago or Mm -hmm. so now and then we brought in Dr. Alan Novian Mm. and he talked about brain waves and neurofeedback and the awesomeness that you can do with neurofeedback. And he's, he's one of my favorites only probably to be surpassed today by our guest who we haven't named yet, but I'm looking forward to today. I'm really excited. Yes. She is definitely a badass. Yeah. Can I say that? Yeah, you did. I did. It works. All right. So continuing the series now we're going to get into trauma. Yeah, and I think good. at the end of the last podcast, well, not the last podcast, the the four, number four, when we talked about the overview, yeah. I had turned it a little bit and said, hey, I want to talk about the people that they try to do all these things. They try to talk about positive talk, self-love, all that, and it's still not working. And they could have a lot more going on. And that's when they need like professional help. Yeah, look, uh, just because you hit that, I'm just going to say the area my therapist has worked with me on more than anything else is self-love. Yeah. Right. I don't do that well. Yeah. What we show on the outside is not always what we're feeling on the inside. So like 
Robin Williams was a prime example. Oh, there you go. During the talk with Dr. You know, no, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought I would bring in somebody that I personally think is a rock star. Awesome. And I have personally worked with her when I was in my last job in the military, when I was working as a clinical case manager, I actually met her because I had a very sick service member. And so let me introduce her and tell you a little bit about her and we'll bring her on. So her name is Dr. Connie Siciliano Vila. I always ruin that. And she knows a lot of people ruin that. So she goes by Dr. Connie (laughs) (laughs) and I'm very thankful for it. So Dr. Connie has experience in clinical and non-clinical settings, such as psychiatric hospitals, independent practice, health and wellness centers. She earned her doctorate degree at Texas Women's University. Oh, right down the road. For, I, my undergrad's from North Texas. So ah. TWU was like a, a stone throw away. Nice. Yeah. Her areas of specialized, her areas of specialized focus include trauma, addiction, family, and diversity issues. She's best known for her work with complex PTSD and dissociative disorders. And she's been treating complex trauma since 2005. And I will attest that she knows what she's talking about. I watched her in action. I learned so much from her. So we want to welcome Dr. Connie to the show. Hey. Hey, hi. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this. I'm very excited about it. I'm passionate about this topic, obviously, right? It's my work. It's what I've been doing. In 2005, I was actually a student and did my practicum hours on Colin Ross's Institute for Trauma inpatient unit. At that time, it was at Timberlawn uh, Psychiatric Hospital in Dallas, which has since closed. And currently it's at University Behavioral Health in Denton, Texas, also a neighbor to UNT. (laughs) That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yes. Yep. So you and I met at my last job and I had a service member that had what I will call, I'm I'm probably not using the proper therapist terms, but I called it compound trauma. Mm -hmm. So this service member, as we, over the years, and I'm talking years, but we found had trauma from childhood, trauma in the military, trauma in adult personal life, it was just constant. And I remember Dr. Connie telling me if somebody had experienced one or two of those, it would be a still traumatic in their life. And this person probably had a hundred. So when I hear you say compound, I think stack, there's just all (laughs) these different. And so Dr. Connie, not to go there yet, because I know you're going to tease something up here. When I, what process through my brain, listening to Donna talk about that, I'd be interested in you bringing in at some point during our conversation on this episode, how many people actually have experienced more than one trauma? Because my brain thinks many of us have different things that could yeah. be considered traumatic that we've experienced. Right. And so that's what that's what we're going to talk about today is like really the focus is going to be on more of the significant trauma. And in the military, right, our veterans do experience. No doubt significant trauma. Dr. Connie, I am not going to talk anymore because this is your area of expertise. So I want you to take the trauma end and define it, explain it, peel it apart, talk about the layers, childhood, adulthood, what impacts what, how our subconscious affects our consciousness in it. I mean, just 
have at it. All right. Well, that's a pretty big order for a short <laughs> amount of time here. And you so. can do this all in 20 minutes, right? Let's see how concise I can do this. And without a PowerPoint presentation to work me along. So working off the cuff and being really casual here. Jay, I wish I could say to you, oh, this number of people have trauma, right? Yeah. Trauma is, it's kind of like how each person experienced things in life. Typically, if we were thinking about it from a psychiatric viewpoint, it would be like something that was life-threatening, either happened to you or you witnessed it or it happened to a loved one or you learned about it, it, it can impact right people. And if we think about 9-11 and how everybody watched the towers and what happened, well, lots of people were actually traumatized by, even if they didn't see it, but ultimately most of us saw it because it was replayed over and over again until at some point they actually stopped replaying it over and over because they were realizing the effects that it was having on people. And, and we call that vicarious traumatization if you're just watching. But imagine for the people that were there, lived it, experienced it, or had a loved one, right? Everybody has some level potentially of trauma just from that incident. Now, if we take something that's not as well known and we just say, well, okay, well, could I have trauma even if it wasn't something so major is that man-made disaster, that terrorist attack? Yeah. Like sometimes in the hospital, we had people who would admit who were suicidal because maybe they lost five family members in a relatively close amount of time. And today in the COVID world, that is happening. Entire families where they've maybe lost quite a few members. Or if I recall correctly, there was a church group, a choir, where multiple people got sick and several people died. That's traumatic. But that also is very different from, say, being in the military. And Donna, you used probably one of the more extreme cases that I have worked with. And that that is like one end of the, the continuum of trauma, right? Like the most extreme. But there are people that they have their childhood trauma and you brought up, let's talk about the late. If in childhood you have neglect, you have physical, sexual, emotional abuse, or maybe witness violence, or just think about home life for some people. When they have that growing up, their brain is also developing and our brains are developing super fast. Like it is wired for us to learn quickly. You learn a language or multiple languages without ever thinking about it when you're like less than two years old. Why? Because our brain's wired that way. Children who are actually neglected and did not receive interaction or somebody to speak to them, they don't develop their language capabilities to, to what their potential would have been had they been in a normal situation. So childhood trauma has long lasting impact. It is bedded deeply in the brain because it's just a natural time when your brain is wired to really learn. Dr. Connie, I'm going to just real quick step in. I mean, you're hitting on some things that I was hoping would come out. Because again, I, I do think that we tend to think of these extremes when we think of trauma and we don't understand some of them happen more subtly. And, and I think that's what you're touching on with my own work with my therapist. I mean, we, 
went all the way back to my childhood because my mother was killed in a car accident. I was with her, drunk driver hit us, and I was six years old. So I grew up being raised by my father. But again, it's not about that, but I'm trying to say those kinds of things. I was too young to remember most of it. I have vague memories, but those kinds of things do make an impact, yes? Mm -hmm. Well, and that's a great example too, Jay, when we talk about what's conscious and what's unconscious, there is a lot of information that's in your brain that maybe you don't remember, you can't, or you were too young, you couldn't verbalize, you couldn't make sense of it, but that is still somewhere wired in there with some kind of a neuronal connection in your brain. You may never be able to say, hey, I actually remember that. However, there are studies and research and things that tell us that unconscious, if you've ever read the book, The Body Keeps the Score, um, Bessel van der Kolk, he talks a lot about how the body knows, right? That information is still in there and we may not consciously know or understand it. So yes, when you're really young, there's a lot happening and it does impact us. And it's interesting too, because a lot of times when I'm first working with somebody who's never worked on trauma, you know, their own trauma, they don't think it's connected. They don't say, oh, when I was six years old, I lost my mom in a car accident. Well, today I'm having trouble in a relationship and it's with my wife. And I just don't get why she does the things she does. And I'm so blah, blah, blah. And typically you have somehow been triggered without knowing it from maybe losing your mom. So I'm not going to use it as an excuse and I'll be real brief again, but I'm just going to tell you part of this work with my therapy came on the back end of the divorce. I grew up being raised by my father only. And one of the things I said is I never saw an example of a couple expressing love, working together, having companionship. I didn't get to see that. So again, not an excuse, but I'm saying that it's been interesting to me, some of the things that have come out in the work I've done with her. And you're kind of touching on that. What's interesting too, Jay, is I didn't know any of this until you said it here today. So as we're talking, I'm hitting on some of those things with you and I don't even know your story, right? I'm not even your therapist. So here's this idea now, think about our military members and those who have childhood trauma and maybe out of touch with it, whatever. We know that the military has been a, a wonderful escape and career path for folks who come from very dysfunctional, abusive families. Absolutely. It's not the all, right? It's not everybody, but there's definitely a good portion. And then they go into the military because they they want a different life and this is a route for them. And and, and that's not the only people go in the military, but for some. And then in the military, if they are in combat or maybe even responsible for making decisions that affects lives, right? Now we're going to add more trauma or guilt or shame or the other kinds of things that are tied to some of the acts and things that have to happen as part of the job. So that's an interesting point right there. And it's a point of contention for me because in my last job, I dealt with guard and reserve and people that got injured or ended up with any mental illness or whatnot. And with the guard and reserve, The biggest thing is, did the injury occur while they were in a duty status? The military is only going to pay if the military caused it. And so when you're dealing with uh, guard and reserves, the quote unquote part-time people, 
then they're trying to tease that out. So I would get so annoyed when we would be dealing with like PTSD or depression or anxiety or whatever's going on. And I would hear somebody say, oh, well, I did that stem from their childhood? And I would always come back with, does it matter? They came in the military, whatever was going on at that time triggered them. And it may be because something happened, their childhood, they didn't have something resolved in their childhood, but guess what? We're the ones that just impacted and triggered or compounded it or whatever you wanna call it. We own that, end of story. So our job is to help them resolve and heal so they can go on. It is not our job to say, oh, well, that happened when you were a kid. Sorry about that. No, no, yeah. no. We yeah. own it because you came in, you go under a lot of stress and boom, something triggers. And we've seen it over and over. And as a matter of fact, the service member that Connie and I connected on, that was the whole issue right there. It went from childhood all the way up through. You couldn't delineate anything. Yeah, it's not like we, I mean, we may, but I'm going to be careful how I say this because I'm not a clinician like you, Dr. Connie, or even a health uh, care provider like Donna's career and profession has been. But it's not like we can take these things, compartmentalize them, and then just bury them never to be seen again. We may compartmentalize them, right. but they are still there and playing a part. Right. So I'll, I'll defer back to you, Dr. Khan. Well, I think you just did a lovely little lead-in for me, and you didn't know it was coming. <laughs> uh, yes, you can compartmentalize, and maybe some of that is hidden in the unconscious. There are a lot of people who actually do have blocks to memory. Right. So this is a great lead in for talking about dissociation. But before I do, I want to acknowledge PTSD because I see PTSD as sort of like the trigger, the it's kind of like the thing before some really severe dissociation. And if you were to look at the DSM-5 manual, which is what psychiatrists and all of behavioral health uses to diagnose, you'll see in the post-traumatic stress disorder section that they actually have a piece in there for, okay, you can have you might have PTSD, but you might also have something called derealization, depersonalization. Those are two separate things, but they both belong. They're, they're very closely tied together, but they both belong in the dissociation category. Mm -hmm. So it's to me, PTSD is like the lead in. And if, if any of your listeners are interested at my website, I have online hour long interview that was actually put together by a senior in high school. She created this little documentary on dissociation. She interviewed Dr. Colin Ross, who is world known for working with trauma, PTSD dissociation. So she interviewed him, she interviewed me, and she also interviewed Bernie Gottway, who is a licensed psychologist. He's worked decades with trauma closely with Dr. Ross. And it's the two of them that I got all of my training and expertise through and opportunities. Dr. Gotway supervised me, but all this work was done on the trauma unit. Anyhow, if you go to my website, you can see, which is mindsproutspgt.com, you can see this video. And in the video, I just lost my train of thought, doggone it. All the time. <laughs> it was leading there. Ah, ah, 
what was I doing? Oh, in the video, I talk about how somebody might have a dissociative disorder and somebody else might have PTSD, but having PTSD doesn't necessarily mean that you have dissociation, but right. typically I don't know anybody who has dissociation, but not PTSD. So I always think about it as sort of like it's the predecessor. It's that lead in. Donna, you use the word compounded. We use the word complex. It's layers and layers of trauma over the lifetime. And of course, if somebody goes into the military with trauma, they experience the military, if it's like combat or something where, you know, life-threatening, all of that, loss of life, whatever the trauma might look like for them, they have a, highly, a higher likelihood of developing PTSD versus somebody who doesn't have childhood trauma and enters the military as an right. adult. And again, goes back to that idea of the brain super development in childhood. So trauma, actually, there's research that supports trauma changes the brain versus somebody who didn't and sort of developed in more normal conditions. Right. And I love to quote Dr. Ross, he'll say PTSD or dissociation, those are actually a normal reaction to an abnormal situation being the trauma. And that's super important. And actually we've ended all the series. I've said the same thing is that the trauma is not your fault. It's what happened to you. Your responsibility is to find the resources to help you optimize your brain again. You know, that's always the goal. So it's really easy to say it's not my fault. I say it's easy to say that's not true if it's a trauma survivor. But cognitively, people can be up in that higher part of the brain that's detached from the emotion. Just yeah. say, yeah, it's not my fault, right? And that usually takes years of therapy for them to say that. And then the emotional part of them is still hanging on. Yeah, but no, really, it kind of is my fault. Yeah. So we can say it till the, till, till we're blue in the face, but really the trauma survivor, their work is in actually bringing the emotion and the cognition together and being able to honestly, truly, genuinely believe that it is not their fault. And I, I know Jay, you look like you're ready to say something and yeah, I yeah. want you to hang in there for a minute because I want to just point out something you brought out earlier. Yeah. You brought out. Yeah, self-love. I think Donna, you did too. Self-love. You know what? To me, with the work with trauma survivors, self-love is like our ultimate goal, right? right? right. Ultimate. But we can't just talk about it. Like we have to work through towards it, integrate process, forgive self, understand what happened, understand selves. And then you're sort of, it's like one of the finishing pieces of treatment is when somebody, to me, healing, if somebody can actually love themselves, that is the healing. That's when we know we're in a good place. I'm closer. I'm not there. That's what I would <laughs> tell you. I'm closer. I can catch myself sometimes actually applauding myself because yeah. of process something and, and I'm, I'm able to internalize that I'm human and, and it's okay. And anyways, grant myself forgive, forgiveness without judgment. What I was going to say earlier and and thank you for continuing to unpack what you had there. And I'm glad you did that. Uh, Donna and I talked on the side after one of the previous episodes. And we were talking about the movie Goodwill Hunting and the scene between Robin Williams and Matt Damon, where Robin Williams is basically holding him by the shoulders and looking in his eyes and saying, It's not your fault, Will. And Damon, uh, Matt Damon's character kept saying, I know, I know. 
but he kept Robin Williams kept hammering home because what you were talking about intellectually, right? He was just right. wanting to say that, but he wasn't really believing it. That's only. right. And eventually he did though, and he broke finally. And I don't mean broke in a bad way. I mean acceptance. He mm-hmm. finally got to that place, but Robin Williams' character was hammering away on that. It's not your fault. It's not your fault right. until he got him to accept and truly believe. Yeah. And that's really ultimately right where we want to go. And by the way, I just want to note, our listeners can't see this, but Jay, when you talk about your journey, I noticed your hand went to your heart, Yeah. right? Because it's the emotional piece. That is the piece that kind of leaves us hanging in there. Can we really recover from this, right? There is big emotional work. And I want to say emotional work is tough for our military. Why? Because you have to turn that shit off if you're going to go out there and do your job. Nobody wants to feel. Well, it's funny. We're taught that. Shut it off. Go do your job. Suck it up, buttercup, whatever you want to call it. We do all that. And then when it gets to the point that we can't do it anymore, and we finally, I say break, just can't do it anymore. The gears lock up and stuff. All of a sudden, the military is, well, sorry, can't use you anymore. medical board or we have to separate you. I mean, it's just boom. And the military is now learning. No, there is a transition period to that. They're not good at it. They're really horrible with it, with the garden reserves, but they're trying and they're working towards it. And, And we do see that. I want to go back to something that I want you to focus on a little more is the dissociation. Cause I think that's really important with our veterans. And I'm going to tell you a little story when I first learned dissociation, like the term, mm-hmm. and you're going to explain the, the levels of it, so to speak. But I was actually working with another therapist and we had a service member and she goes, Donna, and she was like the funniest, she's like a comedian. She was the so funny to, to talk to. She said, she's laughing and she goes, okay, I am not laughing at, I'm laughing at the scenario and he's not connecting it. So she sends me this picture and she goes, here, Donna is a great example of uh, dissociation as in checkout. And if you looked at this picture, this person was receiving a purple heart and his eyes were glazed over. And so I asked him, because I was really curious. I go, Hey, how did it go? And he's I don't, Exactly. You just said it. I don't really remember what much, but I guess it went well. That was his comment. And guess what? Anybody would be like, oh, okay. And just kind of walk Like an out of body experience. He just checked out. His brain shut off because that purple heart was associated with a traumatic event and boom. So I am saying the story ahead of time because I want you to kind of get into that versus what you and I dealt with and all the layers in between. Go ahead, Jay. Well, well, I was just going to say a couple things. You were talking about how difficult it is to do the emotional work. I've always said this, Dr. Connie, heart work is hard work, right? It is. It's it, And you were talking about military members having this switch that we may flip in order to deal with things. I'm not saying this isn't true for women by any stretch, but I do think as a society, an American society, we have done a disservice to men. Yeah. as well yes. to tell us we're not to show emotion. And yes. I, I say to my teenage daughter, who's in a room, a couple rooms over here in the house right now, I say to her often, hey, if something hurts me, you're going to see it. If something brings me joy, you're also going to see it. 
I'm not going to hide emotions from her. I want her to see me authentically as I am. Mm-hmm. So you've obviously done, and I don't want to say, make a blanket statement that all men don't feel their feelings, but definitely we know that men are raised to suppress the vulnerable feelings. You are, uh, hey, you're angry. You want to fight? Go for it. Cry? Hey, what are you? Derogatory names, you know, yeah. meant for women. Shut that off. You said, Donna, suck up buttercup. Right. Guys don't, guys don't hear it that way. That's not how it works. Women, on the other hand, oh, it's okay if you cry. You're a bitch if you show anger. Okay. Yes. I'm not allowed to be angry. Right. Guys, you can have it. Gals, you need to shut that off. Yep. So yeah, we, we get all kinds of messages, but I totally agree with you, Jay. I have said that from day one is like when I started to understand what for men, like how to be, how they're being raised, like that, this is not good. And it's also not good for their relationships either. Mm-hmm. Like if they can't be vulnerable, if they can't connect emotionally, like that doesn't work well. It works great in the military. If you're in combat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Right. Um, you'll, you'll also see CEOs, corporations. Yes. Those, that skill set works really well there too, to shut everything off or just categorize. Yep. But anyhow, back to Donna, what you were asking, and I don't know how we're doing on time. We're fine. Okay. So Donna, so PTSD is sort of like the beginning thing, right? It, it, to me, it's, there's a disturbance going on. Most people probably are pretty familiar with PTSD, like sleep problems and nightmares and hypervigilance, always being on guard, flashbacks, intrusive memories, right? Things like that. Re-experiencing, like for a moment, maybe forgetting where you're at. And I love to use the example of like a helicopter overhead, right? If, if you're actually out in the field and combat on the front lines and the helicopter overhead, what are you gonna do? You're gonna take cover, right? When you're a civilian back in home life and there's a news helicopter flying overhead and all of a sudden you're trying to duck in cover, they've lost a sense of where are they right now? And those are triggers. So we see that as part of what happens with dissociation. Something may trigger. And dissociation can look lots of, there are lots of symptoms that indicate dissociation is going on. And there's sort of like different levels of dissociation. So I always think about it as sort of like on a continuum. And the least, let me say this, the normal end let's say that sort of the normal end of the continuum might be daydream, fantasizing, driving, autopilot, not really thinking about it, but you arrived, right? You, you, you did your normal trek of from Donna's house to Jay's house to do the podcast, right? Didn't right. think about it, but doggone it, you're there. <laughs> Good news we're, is you didn't hit We're laughing, Dr. Connie. <laughs> that example probably a few episodes ago about the driving. So you're hitting oh, automation I, and subconscious and automation. Yeah. <laughs> well, we I love it. Laughing. You'd think I heard all your podcasts. I had not. So uh, I've only no, heard that one, one hasn't even been released yet. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. So there we go. So anyhow, so that's the normal end, right? And then things that are in between, I'll touch on those in a moment, but the extreme opposite end of that would be dissociative identity disorder, formerly known as multiple personality disorder. If you've ever seen the old, I think, black and white, three faces of Eve. Yeah. If you, um, 
What was that, Donna? Yeah. A lot of people of our generation knew Sybil. The, the yes. And then there's even newer ones. Mm-hmm. I forget the names of them. Since I work with DID on a regular basis, I don't necessarily go to the movies to watch it. That's like being at work. So (laughs) I I don't need to do that. But anyhow, so that's the more extreme end. And even within dissociative identity disorder, there are extremes. Somebody can have a couple personalities. Somebody else can have countless, infinite personalities or parts of personalities, et cetera. So the in-between of all, I I brought up earlier a little bit about depersonalization and derealization. They get clumped together and yet they're two different experiences. So depersonalization, and I think Jay, I heard you say this kind of out of body experience or so oftentimes people will describe it that way or like they are watching themselves or floating or from a corner or whatever. That is depersonalization. Then there's derealization where the actual environment around you feels surreal or dreamlike. It, it doesn't feel right. That's so the like best. You don't feel like you're grounded there. You might feel intact with your body, but not the surroundings. So that's derealization. Then there's something called a dissociative fugue. And that is literally, we, we were joking about autopilot, but a very extreme piece of this. It's not within what might be normal. (laughs) It's like somebody is driving and say they're in Texas. And the next thing they're aware of is they're in Ohio. They drove across the country and doggone it. Somehow they managed to be in that hometown where they grew up. Now, what? They didn't intend to go there. They have no memory of driving there. That is a dissociative view. That, that happened. So the service member that we took care of, I remember distinctly when they were peeling back some really finding out what was really going on. One of the comments, I ended up at a golf course and I don't remember how I got there. I just arrived. I was just there like that. So yeah, that was like, I remember that was one of the first things people were like, whoa, we're dealing with something pretty significant. And what we had found out that that memory, that was from childhood. And so that's where it stems. Can I ask this question? For somebody to actually end up with full-blown dissociative identity disorder, typically, isn't that a trauma that occurs before there's actually developed memories? Well, I can't say specifically that, yes, in fact, that's the case. I will tell you Typically, that's the case. Right, like, right, right. That's what you see all the time. I, I see it. Typically is what you'll see, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have yet to have a client that meets criteria for dissociative identity disorder and not have childhood trauma. I don't know. I've never worked with a case where it was adulthood trauma. Right. Mm. Now, I can't say that it couldn't happen, maybe, but I've not seen it and I've worked with a lot of DID. DID is short for dissociative identity disorder. So some of the, so we talked about the fugue, depersonalization, derealization. So like symptoms wise, there are lots of other ways that you can dissociate too. Oh, I forgot dissociative amnesia. Let me add that in as a separate category. There's somebody in my life who will say they don't remember the first 12 years of their life. Mm -hmm. They may have vague memories here and there, but 
big chunk missing, yeah. big chunk. That would be dissociative amnesia. Otherwise, they function pretty well in their adulthood, but they don't know what happened, that they have no memories there. And I want to put something here because I think it's important to note that if something like this is occurring, it doesn't mean you can't have a uh, productive life. It does yes. mean that you can't get help to learn to have a productive life. And I say that because I amazingly, after have dealt with the service member that you and I connected on, I actually have somebody else in my life that I found out had DID. And honestly, because of all of you that I met, I was able to get her the right level of help and I'm watching her have a very productive life. And I, I don't know how many people would know more than one person with DID, but what I am finding and what has been told to me by actually another trauma therapist friend of ours is that you would be surprised at how often it is around you and you wouldn't know it because they are learning to um, have productive lives. So I, I, I say that because I don't want people to think this is like some kind of death sentence and you're kind of some kind of nutball that they need to put away. That is not the truth at all. So I just right. put that out there as a PSA. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm happy to talk more about DID. I just wanted to help people understand some of the other layers because DID is the extreme, right? And I don't know how many folks listening would actually meet criteria. They might relate more to some of the other dissociation symptoms and things. So some of the other ones could be even like brief, brief loss of memory could even be minutes could be hours that still would be blocks to memory. Some people may have difficulty in how they're perceiving sensory information. So especially with like depersonalization, you might hear things like they're seeing in black and white rather than in color. Oh, wow. Yeah. You may hear them say, oftentimes people talk about tunnel vision. So like even a sense like darkness is sort of coming in, almost like they have blinders on. Some will talk about muffled sounds. They're not getting the full intensity of sound. Others will talk about a slowing down of time. So a minute might feel like a year. And you'll hear that often with like situations where they're in immediate life or death danger. It's almost like everything is slowed down. They may even be having flashes and reviewing their life in that short minute, but to them, it feels like eternity. That's where the term comes. My, you know, my life flashed before my eyes because everything slowed down and yeah. And they're in the midst of danger and this is happening. And I really look at dissociation as the brain's way of trying to protect the person, the organism, trying to almost damper down the intensity of maybe what's happening. And this is the stress response system is on and working. It's about survival. Dr. Connie, I had a weight on my spirit as I'm listening to you right now. That and, and I just always believe if something comes to me, it's intended to be shared. Maybe that's not always true. I should and caveat you. Some things we don't need to be shared. But I, I really think this one is. In, in the day and age we are now where there's so much information and access to information online, I think it's really important for our listeners to know that I believe all three of us on this podcast speaking to you today, sharing with you today, 
we encourage you to seek professionals who can help you because I've got a lot of people in my life who try to self-diagnose. They go out to WebMD, they go out to something and then they say, I have X, whatever that may be. And I'm like, well, have you ever been truly diagnosed with that? Well, I'm just telling you this is what I have because I read, I've got all the signs. Well, we need to be very careful about that. So I just... That was weight on my spirit, Dr. Connie. And it's part of why I bring up that I have someone I work with. I've also got a coach and that's a future episode, but I want to demystify it because I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I will tell you that it has been of a tremendous benefit to me personally. Yeah. And that's to Donna's point too, that it, it, this isn't like a death sentence. Although I will say if we're talking DID, dissociative identity disorder, typically people are suicidal. Yes. Typically, because they are in a lot of emotional pain. Mm. And so um, definitely seeking help, definitely seek help. And even for some of the others, I've had people come in because of depersonalization. And also it's been very difficult for them to find a therapist who actually knows what to do with that. Because right there, I'm going to, I'm going to halt it right there (laughs) because that's perfect because this is so important and we're already close to 45 minutes and I want to do part two on this. And I think what I want to talk about is like the, how to find a therapist, the, the treatment options and what the like family support and what they may be seeing and how to teach or how to give the family some tools on how to support a person that's not ready to go for treatment yet. I, I just think those are very important things. So right now I'm gonna put a halt on everything. Everybody's gonna have to go to part two. And what I wanna know right now is where can they find you? Me. Okay. So you can find me at Mind Sprouts Personal Growth Therapy, but that looks like for a URL, Mind Sprouts, one word, P for the personal, G for growth, T for therapy.com. I have a contact page and they can reach out to me through the contact page. Perfect. And we'll have that on the notes on the blog. I mean, on the podcast itself. So that's perfect. Okay. So is there any last thoughts, Dr. Connie, before we wrap this part of it up? I think if I go down a road, it won't be, we won't be able to wrap this part up. Well, wrap it into part two. That's There you go. Jay, what do you got? Well, number one, Dr. Connie, thank you just for what you've shared in this brief moment. And we know it's a lot. We know that what we're trying to do here, we're going to walk away only having scratched the surface no matter what we do. But invaluable information, this really is our hearts, all three of us, our hearts are to not only serve and help others, but, you know, speaking for Donna and I in particular, those of you out there that have worn our nation's uniform in any capacity, we care, we truly care. And we're trying to bring you insightful information that will hopefully unlock a door for you, cause you to say yes to you, that you're worthy, that you deserve, and that you will seek whatever that looks like for you, the intervention needed to transform your life and get you back to a place of health. And I'm a big Brene Brown fan, Dr. Connie. Yep. And I I have a a quote from Brene Brown. She's in the quote, she says men, but we're going to say humans, right? So 
Humans walk this tightrope where any sign of weakness elicits shame. And so they're afraid to make themselves vulnerable for fear of looking weak. Brene Brown. And I just think that it's been a big part of my life. The more that I have learned and embraced being authentically me, opening up, sharing, letting people get glimpses of where I uh, have struggles in my own life and things that I don't understand or moments where I don't necessarily perform at a level that I believe I'm capable of. I I hope that it helps other people be willing to self-examine as well. And so, Dr. Connie, again, on behalf of this episode of Beyond the Front Lines, Donna Hoffmeyer and and Jay Johnson, thank you for listening, everybody. And we're going to look forward to bringing you episode part two, I guess, episode eight, probably part two. I think so. I think with Dr. Connie. Thanks, everybody. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Front Line, a podcast of coming home well. Join us every other Wednesday. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Follow us on Instagram at comminghomewell underscore BTS or on Twitter at comminghomewell. Thanks again. And until all are home and all are well.